Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hi, just jumping in before the start of the podcast. A quick note, there is a technical gremlin that decided to make a little crackling noise on the beginning of this podcast. Um, It doesn't last very long, so bear with it. I think it's about a minute or so, and I don't think it reappears. So it shouldn't spoil your enjoyment of my chat about five great British horror films with Giles Edwards. Back to the podcast. Welcome to another Britflix podcast. Five great British horror film series. Welcome, Giles Edwards. Hello. Giles, do you want to give a brief introduction as to who you are, where you're from? Uh, give people a bit of sense of yes, how you it. know your horror. How I know my horror. Um, so I'm uh, died in the wall cinephile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think most of us are. Yeah. Um, but I've, uh, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm a kind of a film industry stalwart, I guess. Probably, I, would say I get called veteran when I'm in the trade papers now, which I suppose is, uh, you know, a medal of honor or something like that. Or means I've been doing it for far too long, something like that. So yeah, I've been. Uh, I was in uh, UK distribution for. 15 years I think um, at a company called Metrodome um, so uh, yeah, you've probably heard of uh, some of the stuff we released Stakeland, The Innkeepers, Donnie Darko Spring, things like that um, and uh, that Metrodome brought Donnie Darko Metrodome I didn't buy Donnie Darko I have to say I point out I was uh, one nearly along for the ride on that yeah, one yeah, it yeah. was in my, my, my early tenure yeah at Donnie Darko so that kind of you, you, know, brought, you brought a, f- a favourite Spanish one of mine Painless Painless yes Painless and Sleep Tight as well, well yeah. So look, I, it, it's, it's, it was a really good time actually um, for um, the UK when people bought DVDs and did all that kind of stuff. Mm. Sadly, not so much now, um, and sadly, Metrodome is no longer. Um, you know, there are some great companies out there, but Metrodome is not one of them. But um, from that, the ashes of that, I was um, 
headhunted by a company called MPI, who actually produced State Rand and The Innkeepers and House of the Devil and Starry Eyes and Catfight and great many other things. And uh, I now work for them in the UK, kind of looking for those kind of filmmakers. So the new Ty Wests, the new Ben Wheatleys, those kind of people. So uh, if I find them, I'll let you know. Please do, please do. They're uh, in short supply. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's so uh, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I'm, right I'm then, before we before we reveal your uh, your five, yes, I just get just to, for the listener. Um, the rules of the game are. Giles is going to get five minutes. I mean, I'll talk as well. He's not, he's not going to rabble on at you. Hopefully. Um, but five minutes per film, and we're on a we're on a timer. So when it bibs, we will be stopping. I'll be impolite at that point. Tackle me to the ground. And um, mouth. So um, and it's five British films. Although that's British as per Giles's qualification, and we'll get onto that when we start talking <laughs> through. And this isn't about creating a definitive list. This is Giles' five favorite British. Great British films or great British horror films of no, you know. Great is in inverted commas. Let's exactly, say. yeah. There we go. I think it's the Britain, not the film. It's the Britain, Great British. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> so, first, and, and what I will put out though is, is that looking down the list, you've chosen the youngest list. Yeah, it makes me sound like a complete millennial, doesn't it? Um, and I don't think any other reason than that, other than you've done a number of these now, and I think mm. a lot of people have chosen similar kind of things. I think mm. want to hear me talk about Raw Meat, Deathline again. Hammer films again. I mean, I, I think mm. there are a lot of you know. I think think maybe people are less likely to choose these films. And I'm glad you didn't choose that because Sean's coming on. Well, that's the thing as well. About, I don't want to tread on those. <laughs> don't want to tread on those sacred shoes. For God's sake, let him bring me up. Um, but yeah, I think yeah, it's just just um, hopefully these are slightly off the beaten path. There's one or two that obviously everyone will know, and there's one that I think a lot of people won't have seen um, for for various reasons. And then. Um, you know, one that I think people may have seen in the past if they're sort of deep cut friendly. But um, yeah, maybe it gives people stuff to, to, to go out and search and find for themselves. I'm sure it will. Right, first one then. We're starting off 1981, The Appointment. The Appointment, right. Okay, and five minutes on the clock. Um, so I think I'd first start out by saying that good luck finding this one. Jesus. Um, this is this is the one for the uh, the kind of the, the, the people who love the, the thrill of the hunt um, on this one. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm Which not someone... Which is interesting in this day and age, isn't it, really? Because you'd think, it is, yeah. you'd think with the internet, yeah. finding was a lot easier. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and look, I'm not advocating anyone going down any kind of horrible grey area routes. I saw this on YouTube. Which I see is fair game. This film is absolutely unavailable anywhere except on some video cassette from mm. Sony, I think, in in, in 1983. So um, there, there have been various iterations on YouTube where you kind of watch things in different parts, which is not the ideal way to watch a film. But if if that's the only way, um, then, then then sometimes you have to do that. Uh, I'm not someone who kind of hunts out ephemera like that. I have I have some friends, yeah, you know, people like Evrim um, and, and Alex from from the Duke Mitchell Film Club, and my my friend Dave O'Hall, who's a, a film journal, are very kind of into finding these esoteric things. Actually, mm. Dave. O, Put me onto this a couple of years ago, and he did um, a Halloween write-up of various films, and he actually posted the first three minutes this this thing online, which is you know I think fair to say probably better than the rest of the film, although there's a moment later in the in the film which is it was pretty gnarly, mm. but um, yeah the, the opening is just it's one of kind of astonishing kind of um, kind of atmospheric this girl walking through the woods and this is kind of weird voiceover of of what presumably is a kind of a police report of what happened to this mm. girl, and then I'm not going to tell you what happens because it's a wonderful surprise. I would I wouldn't put it quite up there with that moment in the Exorcist three with the with the corridor, but it is that kind of like. <laughs> Okay. Fucking hell, where did that come from moment? And you're immediately like, okay, and it goes off in some very weird directions. And in a very simple sense, just to give people a sense of the story, because it's it's a fairly straightforward description on IMDb, which is a family is confronted in their house by an evil force. Yeah. Which is fairly wide open. You go anywhere with that description. Oh, it's, oh, yeah, I just say it's, And it's, it stars Edward Woodward. It stars, it's a boy does it star Edward Woodward in a very, very fruity performance. In what sense? Um, he's... Uh, 
I think he maybe knows that he's better than everyone else in the film. I mean, he certainly is better than everyone else in the film. Um, and he's, uh, he's is he giving it a Wicker Man performance? Is he? No, no, no. He's he's, he's played straight dad. So he plays oh, a very right, very okay. straight boring dad. His first, I think his first uh, scene in the film, he's buying a Mondeo or something, a very boring beige car, <laughs> um, which figures figures quite 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 heavily in the plot later on. Actually, I mean, essentially, yeah. So this. This very very boring dad has this kind of very staid middle class kind of suburban lifestyle with his his girl who his his um, uh, daughter sorry who 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 has been to the same school as this girl in the opening scene. So this opening scene happens with something happens to this girl and you get this sense of there's something insidious happening around mm. this kind of this uh, this village where they all live. And then uh, Edward Woodward is introduced and he has to go on the titular appointment. He's got this appointment. He has to go somewhere and he has this very frosty relationship with his daughter who's kind of a very kind of sort of down, dour, kind of um, surly kind of teenager. She's also seen kind of wandering through the woods back home from her school where she kind of finds these dogs, stray dogs in the mm. woods and everything. She, there's this, she kind of has this relationship with them. You're not quite sure where and why and how they've come from. Are they real? Are they otherworldly or this or that? And as it goes along, you kind of, it explicates itself in, in exactly what it may yeah, actually yeah. be. And you kind of sense this very awkward, odd relationship between Edward Woodward and his daughter yeah. and the wife who takes a very kind of sort of... Is that Jane Merrill? Yes, wife. yeah, yeah. Very sub subservient back, you know, um, kind of background um, to, to, to Edward Woodward who is obviously the male, alpha male, wears the trousers. Right, okay. very, you know, but she's a very recognisable face, isn't she? She, from, she from is, I think, from, 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 you know, from, from back in the day. I think she's, you know, really sort of had, had the same longevity as of the Judy Geesons of this world or someone a bit more, yeah. you know... Kind of, uh, and she, and she, she does very well. I mean, I'd, I'd say... I, I don't want to sort of denigrate the, the the rest of the performances, but it's fair to say Edward Woodward really kind of you know he's he properly kind of is the horror is the horror about getting him is the evil getting kind him of so he him. goes off this appointment and you get the sense that there's this there's this uh, power play almost mm. between him and his daughter and he's kind of I wouldn't want to cast aspersions on you know the intent of the film but there's going to an uneasy weird relationship there that you're like okay where's this going to going is it going there oh it's not quite going there but there's the intimation that there's something a little bit. Oh CD. really? Yeah, and you're, okay. you're never, it never quite again. It's never. Well, you start the seventies, I suppose, aren't we? It's the seventies, absolutely. Operation U Tree, the movie. Um, it's 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 not quite that explicit, but there's a, there's a, there's a, I think it's a power play. It's you know it's a young woman hmm. who's kind of coming of age, and Edward Woodward has his very staid. He's obviously he's about fifty five, sixty in the film, and he has his the way of doing things, you know. Hmm. And she goes for this, for this titular appointment. I mean, it, it, it's weird that, that that description is 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 kind of very um, you know dull in a kind of way and I think if you actually just describe the plot of the film it's quite dull it's like he has a fractious relationship with his daughter who's at the school where this girl's gone missing he goes on this appointment and stuff happens and it's mm. kind of like it's kind of like I guess a Hannah House of Horror type movie it's, it's a kind of some, something that might be in an hour long kind of anthology yeah, yeah, yeah. thing but it's kind of stretched out slightly to feature length and this this director uh, Lindsay C. Vickers who's apparently never done anything else he did like, yeah, couldn't, couldn't. He, did, he did like two documentaries for Channel 4 or something and then a short film beforehand and kind of never did anything. And I'm actually being very presumptuous that it is a man. I'm assuming it's Lindsay C. Vickers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe that's horrible of me and, you know, I'm, I'm thinking that Lindsay C. Vickers who's directed a horror film it must be a man. I think it is a, yeah, a, a yeah. guy. It could well be a girl and if it is, fantastic because there's this amazing kind of weird um, sort of surreal uh, kind of... Oh, oh well, I hope blimey. Time's up on the appointment. Well done. Right, that's 1981 covered. There we go. Let's see if the car crash at the end as well. There's an amazing car crash at the end which is kind of the final piece which okay. is where Edward goes it's uh, it's quite astonishing right then so now we're, for, for, for the listener we're jumping into what should feel like more familiar territory in, as far as British horror goes right 1987 I think this I think in a way I mean Gareth Dimelow came on here from Sabotage Times he talked about Hellraiser and the way he posited it was this was like the re, the rebirth of British horror but obviously, but not just British horror because obviously it, it's echoes like world King's. horror, man. Yeah, 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 world yeah. horror. I mean, um, this this film I think is genuinely iconic and probably iconoclastic. 
Mm. Um, I think in that it kind of really sort of just throws the cobwebs away of that kind of very wonderful traditional staid gothic kind of you know tradition of, of, of British horror films which have, have produced absolute marvels you know um, mm. from you know from from um, I mean, even though the games were weird melodramas that were kind of these very kind of gothic ghost stories right through to, you know, um, I don't know The Innocents, would you count that as a British horror film? Yes. I guess it is, there we go. It's the featured on, def- it's there we go. It's I, featured you know, on the list, don't worry. Indeed. Um, so, uh, and stuff, and then obviously Hammer and, and, and the 70s and Amicus and, and, and Tygon and those kind of things. And then, you know, towards the end of the 70s, those kind of things were getting very creaky. And, you know, to the, to the Devil of Daughter is kind of that ignominious um, sort of end of the, the, the Hammer cycle, which everyone kind of says is just, it's, it just whimpers out. Um, you know, and then... It starts off well, though. It starts off very well, yeah. It's, just, it's, it's, you know, it's a good legacy. So now, now obviously, you, your, your, your cineast friends weren't helping you discover this. Oh, God, when, no, no. When, I saw when, this, when, oh, when, I was, when and how did you first I see... I saw Hellraiser. this at my friend Alistair Sims' house yeah? when I was... Evening, Alistair. Oh, jeez, hello, Alistair. I don't know him anymore. Um, he, I, I guess I was probably 12. No, 13. Oh, 13. I'm not going to be one of those guys who said, I watched it when I was four. Uh, no, I, I was about 13, I think, probably, and went yeah. to his house. And um, so the overriding thing I took away from it was how fucking depressing it was. It was an, uh, such a depressing film because it is set in this very dour... North London kind of house in Dollis Hill and it's a horrible loveless marriage and it feels suffocating and mm. you know and, and, and Ashley Lawrence's character is just having a horrible time because it just it's actually a, a horrible gothic kind of grand Greek tragedy kind of in a yeah, way yeah there's real there's real drama it, re- a real drama around, and that's the, the, over, the, the overriding stuff yeah it wasn't scared it was just at, utter kind of despair I think almost in a kind of almost seven-esque mm. kind, of, kind of kind of way you sort of come from it thinking Jesus Literally, Jesus wept, I guess, you know, um, as, as the final line of the film. Um, it's just, yeah, and, and I think, you know, on, on, only being 13, I wouldn't have got that that was, you know, all that's intentional because of, of Barker's kind of kind of intent and his kind of mm. very kind of his roots in the kind of, you know, the working class north. And, and you know, I think he's bringing so much to that of, of, of humanity's kind of nihilism mm. and, and, and all the horrible things that people will do yeah. to each other, um, you know, and, you know, finding out that he was, um, you know, he'd written plays and books and stuff like that is obviously an incredibly literary background to that yeah, film yeah, yeah. I mean that's the marvel of that film is it is it's a one location it's a classic kind of you know no it is Sundance is, is make a film in one location look there's your location you get people coming to it and stuff happens and everything but it's kind of done this amazing kind of theatrical yeah. kind of level um, there's a grand scale for a contained horror film oh in it, it's, it's, and it's just you know it's still to this day it's absolutely um, you know kind of stunning some of those I mean look there's some rough edges it's a million dollar movie it's kind of you know done very very um, kind of hastily and I'm sure they kind of cobbled bits together I know Tony mm. Randall the, 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 the Corman guy kind of came on and helped do reshoots to kind of expand bits and bobs you know just do reshoots of scenes walking along kind of uh, dock sides to kind of make it feel more expansive and not just in this mm. little house and, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, but you know I think there are, there are moments in that film not just the kind of the big pinhead cinema moments but you know just the, the, the resurrection bit with um, oh. you know Christopher Young Christopher Young score as well it's not um, sort of belittle that it's one of the great horror scores and I know people are very um, anxious to kind of reclaim the coil score that, mm-hmm. um, that, that the Stephen Thrower originally did for it which is which is great and would have been a very very different thing but for whatever reason why and how this is the film that launched Christopher Young is this kind of guy that did these oh, amazing op- yeah it's oh, just, okay, I mean okay. he did he obviously done stuff before you know yeah, yeah, he, yeah, yeah, he, he yeah, done no, like um, the Dawn of the Drip Blood and, and, and um, Stephen Carpenter and Jeffrey O'Brien's films he'd, 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 he'd done a lot of those those, those films out of College, um, you know, where he was just—he was a film student with a lot of these younger horror guys in the early '80s. But yeah, I think this is the film that really put him on the map, and in in a kind of a you know a, a sort of one, two, three of, of this, the fly to mm. um, Jennifer, all this kind of stuff. And he became in absolutely kind of 
um, uh, emblematic of that very, very kind of mm. gothic, huge, operatic kind of um, kind of film score, which does amazing wonders for this you know small little film mm. set in a, in a house in Dollis Hill. Um, but I think now that ambition and that grand scale is, I mean, God, I can't remember the last horror film made in the UK, even 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 now that had that just bold audacity to do that. Yeah, I mean, Jesus, what I mean, what what was. Clive Barker thinking of thinking he could do that. I don't know, but if more people had the balls to do those kind of things, I think we'd be getting a lot more. Even if they're interesting failures, um, you know, things that are that are just just knock you out in even in, in not totality, even in just certain sequences. There are just things you. It has an interesting before. thing whereby the ori- obviously being the original, there's a whole what the answers we get. It still leaves a whole lot of mystery and because of the world it's set in. That laid it wide. Oh yeah, and absolutely mythology. The, the mythology, the, 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 the franchise. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And it was getting came from a novel, um, Hellbound Heart. Yeah, it's a slim. A slim tome, I guess you would call it. It's a novella, really, and pretty much the bones, the bare bones of it in there. Um, you know, but it's yeah, it's it's it's. I guess to not be pretentious, it's, it's Shakespearean, it's Wagnerian, it's all those kind of things. And I think you know um, that's what makes it so potent. And not everything works. The, the accents are weird. Some of the you know the acting is whatever. But it's yeah, it's 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 a genuine classic. A genuine Time is classic. up there, sir. But I just want to add as a little bit of a plug, just weirdly. Yeah. Before before Giles was arriving, I was talking to. Uh, Danny Stewart on the old Facebook, and um, he he co-produced the uh, Leviathan, the uh, oh the epic, the epic documentary epic about, about the first two. Uh... I think three actually. Yeah, three's in there as well. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I think it's longer than the, the I've films still not combined. Seen it, I so, believe. Um, but he's 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 involved with a short film called The Offer, which mm-hmm. is playing in Islington on November the fourth. So we're doing this interview on the twenty fifth of October. So it's in a week or so. Hopefully this will be out in time. Uh, the Offer is bringing together cast of. Um, Hellraiser's franchise. Which ones do you know? I, I've got a list. I bet it's Nicholas Vince. You bet it's Nicholas Vince. I'm going to have to find out now. I, I bet Chattering Cenobite is we'll one do, of them. We'll do this he live. Is, uh, he is very active on the uh, independent horror scene, I know, at the moment. So we've got we've got the cast of Kenneth Graham, Barbie Wilde, Oliver Smith, Simon Banford, and Nicholas Vince. So that's a few of the Cenobites, I think. And, uh, and some... uh, Oliver Smith, I think, is... The, is he the guy that played Skinner's Frank? Frank Cotton, think, yeah. Yeah, yes, he's the... He's the He's skinless guy, I think. Ah, okay, okay. I believe. I mean, yeah. So, essentially, seven strangers come to a house and uh, something to do with the uh, the mythology of Hellraiser. Oh, really? So it ties in? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, wow. So, uh, of course, the offer, the lament. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, look, it's a, it's a mythology that's ripe for um, for exploration. I mean, there have been nine Hellraiser films so far. Yeah, and there was a, there was a, none of them quite as good as the first one, I would have to say. No, I'm, I think from four onwards, we're... we're, we're, we're... Oh, four, that's being generous. Actually, I quite, actually quite, I quite like them, to be honest. <laughs> I quite like Hellseeker with uh, with Lance Henriksen. It's kind of fun. No, they're fun, but but they're not. They're rubbish, but they are fun. Yeah, I think films can be fun. They can be fun. They don't all have to be just moments in your life. Sometimes it can be just entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> it's always hard to take though. Sometimes you cannot but take it personally. Right. So after '87, we're going to jump into the '90s now, and one that's stra- this is straight from my uh, my university days because right. I I absolutely adored um, hardware. Um, Rightfully so, yeah, yeah. And it got overplayed and overplayed. And while I'm at college, Dust Devil came out. Dust Devil, well, just, well it came out, it sort of crawled out, didn't it, eventually? Well, it ended up in my video shop in... Um, a trunk. Did you see the 95-minute version, or did you see there was a... Fuck knows, I was in, I was in, um, I was in Birmingham at college, so our local, it literally, 
because it said the guy that did Heart. I mean, I yeah. wasn't even reading any any film media at the time, so yeah. it I just you, yes. it just said Hardware, yeah. and I was like, I'll have it. Well, I was a Fangoria kid. I don't know if you were a Fangoria kid from um, the the nineties onwards. So from about nineteen eighty nine, I guess. Okay. My poor father would go down to the newsagent and place a, a monthly order for Fangoria, not really knowing what it was, um, and and every every month in my sweaty hands would be you know this treasure trove of, of, of pre-internet because you publicity like your, like your internet I suppose but anyway, yeah it certainly was I still have, it's the only thing I kept from my childhood actually is my, is my collection of Fangoria's um, and you know hardware was, was, was pretty much I was reading Head Pressure C by then uh, yeah. well you're older than me that's cool. yeah 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 so it's true though it was, was... Fangoria had lots of pictures you see so I don't have to look at it um, so, uh, uh, so, so I'd, I'd have that, and, and yeah, obviously, hardware was kind of pr- figured very, very kind of heavily in that, and they, they kind of the, the, the British invasion, of course, yeah. uh, which at the time was you know, it's like Stephen Norrington and all those kind of guys. And, and well, it um, felt like natural progression. Obviously, after Clive Barker's sort of big impact, you kind of went, yeah. And I think there was a British, I think it was a British were coming uh, kind of um, issue. I'm not sure if Richard's name was actually in that issue, but it was people like Stephen Norrington doing Death Machine and. Um, uh, was it Vadim? No, was it Vadim Jean? One of those guys who did uh, this thing with Craig Fairbrass and Elizabeth Hurley, um, which I'm blanking on the name was. It was actually a Metro film. Um, okay. Bizarrely enough, um, my company uh, released it. But it was, it was, it was yeah, the British invasion, and 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 British name is definitely part of this. And obviously, Harbour was um, you know um, a, a pretty terrific um, entryway for him into, into the industry. And then Dustover came along, and it's I mean again, it's kind of like Hellraiser. It's just like it's nothing like that in in the annals of British genre history. I don't think. I mean, it literally is. Um, Sugenerous, I guess, is what they would call it. It's, I mean, although it is, you know, obviously, you it, have it's, to tell me what that word means. Uh, it's sort of the the, the, the defining one of its kind, essentially. I mean, yeah, it, yeah. It, although it is, you know, in that kind of Tarantino way, it, it is a melange of well, I influences had... and things all, all, all puddled into its blender. But it is absolutely unique in, in kind of what it does for a British yeah, genre yeah, yeah. film. We've made for like less than three million pounds. I think I didn't well. know. I, I genuinely didn't know what to think. I mean, Hardware's a pretty straightforward. Film. It's a cyberpunk movie, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, 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 yeah. What it is, it's Terminator. Whereas Dust Devil is, it's always oh, it is a spaghetti western. Is it a Hodorowsky esque? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is a, 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 a tree? I, I don't know. It's, it's, I mean, and Richard Danny is of a, a very lofty cinephile in, um, you know, in of himself. He's uh, in, in an interview in, in Fangoria. Um, uh, he, he mentions, it, I think, his favourite films. Flick between Stalker and Mirror, I think. So Tarkovsky is very, very big in his universe, and, and okay. obviously Hodorowsky is, and he's very much into that magical realism and, and spiritual kind of sort of realm of, of stuff. And all those influences kind of are put into a blender, along with plainly Argento and all the Italian greats yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and people like that. And actually, the overriding one I, I found watching it again recently was um, Michele Tuavi. So the sect and the church and 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 uh, I guess demons and those kind of slightly slightly trashier, mm. I want to say, kind of Italian films, and that's not to be to, to, to denigrate them at all, but they're, they're slightly more kind of flashier music video end of, of the eighties. Mm. Um, it doesn't have it Italian have, horror, but it doesn't have. A, I mean, it certainly, it doesn't have a pace, does it? Not. Uh, that's one thing. Well, if it does, it's languid. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. that, that, I was thinking, I was thinking of uh, meditative. I think they would call it. I was they? thinking of like the keep and stuff. Oh yeah, no, totally. Which a film I I um I love as well. Mm. I think for the same reasons, it's you know it's it's utterly indulgent and probably flawed if you're looking at it from a very kind of generic kind of point of view. But I mean, yeah, it's it's it's, it's a mood piece. It's an atmospheric piece. It is you know it's slow. It hasn't got a lot of story, but the detail and the the mythology and the kind of everything in it is just absolutely um you know directed. Like, did, it have, did it have any commercial success? Um, you know? A little, maybe. Mm. I mean, like I said, it was made for three million quid, I think. Um, by in fact, the, the woman who produced it, it now produces Paul Thomas Hansen's films, so it's got a pedigree. Yeah, 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 so yeah, she, yeah. She, she's produced every Paul Thomas Hansen film since Boogie Nights, I think. So you know, she's working with a really kind of you know um, amazing set of, of collaborators, and obviously mm. Nick Powell and Stephen Woolley, and those. You know, it's coming from that. I think because its ambition is so incredible, and because I presume 
project was was incredibly difficult to make you know this is the logistics of it were it, it doesn't look like it was an easy an easy shoot and i think all of those things and you know the timing and you know the the um the the, the release was obviously um mangled in in some kind of way mm. creative differences all that kind of stuff it doesn't really impact me at all i don't really care about that kind of stuff I mean, it's great for no, anecdotal no, no. stuff i i i i guess you know it it was a difficult birth for the film but ultimately what we have now is there is a final cut actually which is the version i'm kind of more familiar with oh, so okay. there's a 95 minute cut there was like a 112 minute version i think that was kind of a oh, re-edit yeah. which is it and then there's an, a, a final richard stan it's called the final cut i think which was released on a like a five disc thing a few years ago with some of his documentaries yes i I, I, it was a only limited edition kind of things because i must admit jones i was really excited to when when i saw this on your list because it's one of them films that just is part of it makes me think of and and just go go back and watch it again it it, like i said it's it is languid it is indulgent it is kind of i'm all right with that meaningless in a kind of way but yet meaningful in every single in every single way it's it's just it's just potent it's a real potent watch and you, i mean everyone's in it's great i mean chelsea field man she was she was an amazing presence in the 90s i mean a really kind of strong mm. kind of kick-ass kind of linda hamilton type um woman uh you know kind of leading these things and then zakes mckay as well who is um you know from serpent the rainbow and things like that he's um he's a terrific character actor it's just populated by moments of brilliance and yeah i don't think we'll ever see it's like again well i'm glad you've highlighted it for britflix show them now, when we were talking off air, yes, as it were, um, there's a there's a uh, somewhat somewhat of, of the list. Is it contentious? So it's contentious. Like controversial, controversial would be a bit strong. A, a little strong. <laughs> but we've bait. got Mute Witness from 1995, by which is a British film. It's a British film. It's what Anthony Waller. Anthony Waller. Okay, yeah. his, his lineage, I believe, is Russian or something. I think maybe. I think so, he's born so in the Middle East. Middle, Middle East. Okay, so he's 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 definitely not from. The UK, maybe heritage. But that's wise. got cold feet, Faye Ripley. So, well, there you go. It's got absolutely Faye Ripley. I mean, it doesn't get there. You go. It's got someone from a soap in it. It's fine. Um, but no, I mean, no. Anthony Waller is he's, he's a British filmmaker. I mean, he's, yeah, he's yeah. he got a British company. Um, he had a British company with um Anthony Hickox for a while actually. Um, called Seven Arts, and he was he was he was doing various things with him. But um, and you know, I mean, the the, the movie I think is is um, it's definitely okay. If it's maybe more European, it's certainly it's in English. Stars a whole lot of English people, and the director is you know. So what's, what's the basic gist of Mute Witness? Uh, Mute Witness is, I mean, it's essentially a, a neo-jalo, I think you probably kind of call it. Um, Hitchcockian, I suppose, is probably the more kind of commercial way of doing it. I'm okay. sure they probably sold it as a Hitchcockian um, thriller back in the day. Um, so, what, was it 92? Did it come out? 95. 95, oh, geez, okay, it's my university year. So, so you've got the classic Mute person witnessing a murder. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it, okay, it's very Hitchcockian. It is, uh, yeah, a, a, um, a female um, special effects technician is working on a European kind of horror film in that kind of... Uh, beginning of blowout De Palma kind of way. Yeah. I don't know if it has has a has as good a title as as, as that. But um, it's uh, yeah, pretty simple setup. She kind of goes back one night to kind of retrieve some things she left there and discovers they're actually shooting um, something slightly more salacious and horrible after hours. Mm. Crew members. So she kind of stumbles upon a snuff film essentially, um, and uh, she obviously is mute, so she can't really tell anyone. But she needs to escape, and then these people are tracking her down. It becomes like a yeah, kind of a cat and mouse thing. Um, so it's. Uh, it's incredibly classically done, and it is done in such an amazing way. I mean, it really is. It's quite a big kind of. It doesn't look like a cheap movie. I mean, I think I, don't, I think Anthony Waller had done a few short films and was kind of plucked from obscurity to kind of you know do yeah. this. And it's it's. I don't know what they were thinking, looking at the script and thinking it's going to be kind of breakout because it is quite seedy and salacious yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and in all those kind of great ways that De Palma films are. And 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 and. What, what would be so, what would be some of the? If it gives ninety five, I think we're going to forward spoilers. What would be some of the? great plot twist for you that, that, that came out of the film um 
Well, I mean, there's, there's, there's double crossings up the wazoo. There's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a little, it's a little kind of sort of fear of foreigners. I have to say that the, the ethics of the film maybe not quite as, um, you know, quite, kind of kind of uh, kind of PC in twenty first century as as, um, as as if it would be made nowadays. Um, oh. there's, an, there's an amazing scene where she tries to attract the um, attention of a neighbour because she can't scream or, or anything like that. So she um, flashes her neighbour who's been peeping on her the entire time becomes a plot point. And it's a very hilarious plot point as well. Actually. She she sort of you know Rico sort of takes her. Uh, that, that's how she manages to kind of yeah um, yeah yeah exactly. uh, you know kind of take agency for herself because she obviously can't do anything um, mm. you know um, sort of speech wise and uh, yeah she's kind of she's not a superhuman or a kind of a superheroine kind of um, uh, a kind of protagonist and um, it's 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 kind of I guess maybe in if you're looking at it from a um, cynical point of view it's a bit more of a directorial kind of experiment a storytelling mm. experiment but I mean it's just a th- it's a really thrilling kind of mm. you know um, uh, properly taught, suspenseful, funny, charming. I mean the lead, um I don't I mean I can't actually remember her name now, it's terrible. Um but I don't think she's gone on to do to do much else. But she's Is that Marina's a dance Yeah, she's she's she's, she's Russian and you've got you've got Milo really... from society, even Richards is it. Oh really? Yeah, which uh, was kind of a oh, weird. Uh, this is the one I haven't watched recently as well. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, every, and it, yeah, Faye Ripley's in it as well. I mean, that's just, it's really weird casting. But mm. everyone in it is really up for it. Mm. That's the thing. Everyone is really up for it and it feels like a real kind of was this a, was a cinema release then in, in Britain I, at the time? I think so. So I think it came out. I, mean, I, I saw it. In, I saw it on VHS, so I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was too poor to go to the cinema at the time. Hey, not as VHS, you see. But um, so it was it was a VHS um, kind of discovery um, from, from my kind of lazy student days, and then mm. yeah, I mean, Sony put it out on, on DVD a, a, a few years ago, so it's in a nice kind of widescreen. What's a memorable kind of horror moment for you in it then? What, what, the, the, the... It has it has a proper un- unsettling opening as well. She actually discovers the kind of snuff movie. That's a really it's actually really well done, properly disturbing, very very De Palmer-esque kind of. Okay. okay. It, it, it reminds me most of the bit in uh, Body Double, where um, uh, Craig Weston sees the, the the drill being kind of oh, okay, you know, okay, okay. kind of sort of pummeled into in, in, into into the heroine, his love interest. It's it's got that kind of intensity to it, and oh, it wow. really it goes there as well. It really kind of sort of makes the the, 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 the dilemma feel very very real and kind of um, a tangible sense of dread with this with this kind of sort of poor girl who then kind of mm. goes through the, you know goes through the, the, the mill of sort of trying to get everyone to kind of believe her and get the police in who are obviously shady because they're you know foreign Eastern European and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff and all those kind of things and the most amazing thing about it is which is the, could be the stunt thing is that Alec Guinness is in it and he's in it for about five minutes right. and his bit was shot about 18 months before the film was made because I th- the, the apocryphal thing is that Anthony Waller saw him at an airport and kind of wanted him to be in this film but he wasn't you know yeah. plan it out and he actually how, how he persuaded him to do it I don't know but he got him essentially to wear a fedora and a coat and get in a car and shoot these lines in the back of a cab and then 18 months later he kind of put it in as, and Alec Guinness is essentially this kind of overlord that's been doing funding all this kind of sort of snuff movie stuff so right at the very very end um, See I'm not going to spoil exactly how it happens but he does turn up as the kind of the kingpin which is a, a wonderful piece of kind of almost Roger Corman-esque Kind yeah, of film economics of, of of just kind of grabbing and obviously proves the charm of Anthony Waller going to do it is um yeah so he's got kind of an and Alec Guinness um, <laughs> role in it which is yeah that's just, great hurt. story doesn't great hurt. story right then fast forward into the noughties into now. the noughties and one of my this was in when I did a survey of Britflix readers of horror films we did bunches of five right and in my five I had The Descent from two thousand and five what a fucking great movie yeah this is a, I mean look I I um. Being very honest, cards on the table. Dog Soldiers was a film that kind of passed you by as like, ah, it's fun, it's a lark. It's, you know, I've, I've rewatched it again since, and it's yeah, it's it's it's, it's good. It's again, it's kind of a, a fun kind of. I was December first, went back to Dog oh, really? Soldiers. Oh really? Yeah, so yeah. I, I mean, I saw being, being, being an industry twat, I saw um, 
dog soldiers, I think, obviously. at a movie screening, and I probably very sniffily in my mid twenties was like, oh, well, this is obviously very derivative of horror comedy. Um, and it, it, it's, it's a fun film, but it was kind of it felt a bit ragged. The Descent, which absolutely knocked my socks off, was just such a polished movie. I mean, the, mm. and maybe even Neil would say himself that the, the leap from Dog Soldiers yeah, to The Descent. It's just, I mean, it's that is a it's a masterful piece of mm. filmmaking. Um, again, you know, an economical kind of you know all those cases and everything were kind of I think shot in a studio and it's all polystyrene all this mm. kind of stuff. Just really clever. And the same bit of, um, you know, the same bit of uh, um, of cave was used again and again from different. Just really kind of clever. Um, kind of, kind of way, way, way of doing stuff, but it's a film that feels muscular and it feels cinematic and it feels, you know, like someone who really is absolutely in control. And then the, the exterior stuff was shot. Scott was it Scotland to, to look because it's shot to be feel like an American movie. Yeah, I think it's the Appalachians. I think it's meant to be set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. Kind of, yeah. So because I guess the scope of, I mean, being lost in a cave in Scotland. Yeah, yeah, yeah mile out and is you know they come out yeah, in yeah. a small village somewhere whereas the Appalachians are quite expansive yeah, so I yeah, suppose yeah. The, the, the ability to get lost in there is kind but of that trick though of a film that's that's saying that, that that's saying something that it's not you know yeah, again it's just clever it's just, mm. just economical filmmaking I mean I mean I don't think the movie was cheap to make but it certainly wasn't expensive I mean I've, I've got a figure of 10 million dollars in my head maybe maybe right maybe mm. not I don't know but I know it wasn't it wasn't a huge budget but um you know and just I mean a really well cast um film I mean almost exclusively Female cast. Yeah, think, yeah, yeah. The, the demon is played so, by uh, a, a, a guy, and then there's um, um, her poor husband at the beginning who gets a pipe through his head. I think mm. are the only male cast members in it, and you know, I, I, I guess that was probably calculated on on, on Neil Marshall's part. And that but is, in that the, is a kind, that is in terms of like the, if there's if there's rules associated with horror, you know, make sure people know they're watching a horror film. To do something that's completely unrelated, but obviously. A motivation well, a for the story because isn't there's, there's, they're not damsels in distress. They're not kind of you know no, no, kind no. of kind of female kind of victim. And there are victims and there are aggressors and there are all those kind of things within the dynamic. But it's about a bunch of friends. They happen to be female. It's great that they're female, but they are just interesting characters who yeah. have a history together and doing this thing. And it's all it's all character. It's incredibly it comes from the whole thing comes from a piece of character. And the lead character mm. obviously gone through an incredibly kind of traumatic kind of event. And then the history is kind of doled out in kind of um, kind of small doses throughout and you know some of the, the more harrowing moments and it come from all character dynamics and it's an incredibly well written film it's, mm. it's, it's an, uh, I genuinely think it's an amazing rewatchable piece of British commercial cinema mm. um, you know I mean it, it had an incredibly unfortunate timing when the film came out yeah, it famously. came out the day after we meant to come out the day after seven, the 7-7 seven, seven, yeah. seven bombings and yeah, 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 and, yeah. Post, and, and it's horrendous because I think that film would have been you know 20-30 yeah. million dollar smash I think if it had been released at a different time I think it deserves to be and I think it really set Neil Marshall on the map as a you know, proper mm. filmmaker in the kind of I don't want to be hyperbolic but in the John Carpenter Walter that, no, that no, kind of mastery of you know, just uh, nothing, and nothing really flashy. I mean, he's not a flashy filmmaker. Mm. He just is absolutely in control of his kind of camera and his mood and his atmosphere and and what he wants to do. And the film moves and it's propulsive mm. and it is genuinely unsettling. I took my wife to see it at the cinema and she is claustrophobic at the best of times and mm. she was properly squirming in that film. It was just people being pulled through, you know, yeah, holes and rocks and things of... like that. Not forget the demon stuff. It was the yeah, actual yeah, yeah. the other stuff when things are tremendous. Well, that's, that's the great thing about the film is that you you're kind of prepared for what might be in the dark. But that, yeah, the demons are kind of secondary to the Neil, terror of. Just with the film is that the, the terror of being stuck first. So, yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's palpable. It's absolutely palpable, and and just really really works. And um, you know, and it follows maybe a, maybe a traditional kind of trajectory of a of, of a of a fairly traditional creature feature. But I think it's you know it's it's unfussy in that way. And I think that's part of its charm. It's, it's mm. unfussy. It's unflashy, but it does what it does so well. And it feels like a big film. It feels mm. cinematic, and it feels like a studio film and it's absolutely you know it's a cool no, no, for him and you know I mean I think he's gone on to do you know bigger and bigger and bolder things and he's never really lost that and it's weird because you go back to look at Dog Soldiers and it's it's got the bravado and the machismo and things like that but it doesn't 
ever feel like that would be the next film from the director of Dog Soldiers. It no, not at like all. It's no. such a vault fast. No, having done, having done the kind of reverse trick, which is you go back, you go, it's in, it's a very enjoyable film, but if I'd be go, I'd be asking myself, what was in between? Because yeah. it doesn't feel like... Yeah, I mean, you know, he's, he's an editor as well, so I mean, he's obviously probably doing jobs in between. He comes from a very craft point of view, and he was an okay. editor before he was a was a director, I believe. And mm. um, But yeah, it's just, you know, I, I, again, I think it, you know, it will go down as one of you know the great 21st century horror films, I think, rather than mm. British horror films. And I think it's definitely up there. It absolutely works at such a primal kind of level, um, you know, in, in terms of its characters. And it's a real throwback in the proper sense of the word to mm. those kind of 70s survival films, you know, yeah, the deliverance yeah. and the rituals and, 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 and things like that, you know, of, of, of a group of people kind of pushed together and the pressure cooker of mentality. No, 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 no thing. Totally it's agree. absolutely, you know, I think it puts a foot wrong, um, to be honest. It's, um, it's, a, it's a great movie. Well, look, kiddies, that was, uh, that was the bell for the end of that. That was the fifth one. We've look done, that. We've done your five British horror films. Let's remind everybody what, it, what we had. We had The Appointment from 1981. We had The Hellraiser from 87. Dust Devil, 92. Mute Witness, 95. And then we just ended on Descent. Do you think, looking through that list... Would you would you say there's any there's any theme at all emerging that you, the way you see British horror I was, films? Do, I didn't well see British horror films, but looking on it, I've, for some reason I've picked a very um, kind of fuck the patriarchy kind of theme. <laughs> I think throughout all of those, I mean the, the the appointment, you know the 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 kind of the adolescent kind of coming out of this young girl mm. and, and what happens with Edward Wood's character is obviously very kind of potent. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Mute Witness obviously is a very strong kind of uh, kind of central uh, protagonist. He's very resourceful. You know, yeah, very yeah. Resourceful, you know uses her um, kind of you know just absolute smarts. Um, mm. He doesn't need to rely on you know most of the guys. He actually kind of um, ends up relying on in the film. Kind of um, end up double crossing and, and and screwing her over. I mean the descent is all women. I mean it's an yeah. incredibly kind of sort of vibrant kind Claire of. Claire Higgins is fairly iconic in okay, Hellblazer. Fairly iconic, yeah. and I mean the, the the great quote that Clyde Barker says of uh, one of the production staff or something or the hairdress or something on the, on, on the film said the great alternative title for Hellraiser should be what a woman would do for a good fuck <laughs> uh, which I think probably sums up the film pretty well yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and then um, Dust Devil I mean look I mean, maybe, that's, maybe that's a slight stretch but I think Chelsea Field is, is definitely a kind of you know a kind of a, a totemic Linda Hamilton from Terminator kind mm. of, of warrior figure at the end and she certainly kind of you know she, she, she does her bit and she kind of sort of comes out of it absolutely from her own volition so I think you know all the films for, for, for one reason or another kind of I think have great protagonists who happen to be um, you know I guess, I guess um, you know non-traditional kind of horror film males mm. who, are, who are kind of sort of you know saving the day and I think you know it's probably um, emblematic of I think British do that quite well I think they've always had a kind of tradition of doing very um, strong um, kind of gender dynamics within the, I mean, maybe Hammer films are probably not the right kind of thing yeah. to be uh, to to to, to, to well, be no, that's, that. That's but certainly, you know, think, think going back to the Innocence and going back to, um, you know, um, people like Sheila Keith and Pete mm. Walker films, things like that. They've always had these kind of really kind of great, potent um, kind of sort of female presences, and I think you know, I guess it's maybe I'm gravitating towards that kind of thing. It makes it a bit different from just a bunch of dudes, um, you know, kind of sort of hanging out and, and, and chopping people up or saving. Saving girls in distress. It's um, yeah, those are things that I think speak to me and um, just a bit more interesting, you know. Well, look, thank you very much for coming on Five Great British Horror Films. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. It's an absolute pleasure. Um, yeah, I hope everyone kind of uh, either discovers these or um, revisits them again and, and has a lot of fun because um, yeah, I think they are all a lot of fun. I'll be on Dust Devil as soon as I can. Do it. Do it. If you don't already subscribe to Britflix. 
Just sign up for free at iTunes and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.